certainly probably the most important thing that can happen in any time worship service, in any time when we gather together to sing the praise and to pray and to hear how the Bible applies to our lives. It's the most important thing that could ever happen is that we speak to us. That we hear Somewhere deep down in the center of who we are, we connect with Him and He is trustworthy. So that's why I'm asking to happen to us today, particularly in the next few minutes. Holy Spirit, open our spiritual ears to hear, spiritual eyes to see. Whether we can explain it to anyone else or not, help us to know that we know that we know He's been in your presence and we've heard from you. Amen. The people around you have been saved here in a thousand different ways or more. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's not so good. Sometimes they will bring out the royalty in you, and uh, sometimes they can help you become the person you always wanted to be, but never thought you could. There are times when they may bring out the worst in you. Who you hang around with, who you spend time with, is important. David was anything over a second king. He started out as the youngest son uh, with eight, seven or eight older brothers. How many youngest do we have in here? Just a couple? Wow. Oh, yeah, we got, we got, yeah. Uh, so, so you know what it's like to be the youngest for some of us. The rest of us are in the middle or on top. <laughs> well, I'm going to put my hands in the air like it just started to. Okay. That's what it looks like. All of a sudden, all of a All right. Okay. David was the youngest problem. He was so young and so such a baby in the family. When Samuel came and said to Jesse, his father, I, I want to, uh, one of your sons is going to be the next king of Israel, and I want to meet him and anoint him and pray for him, uh, uh, beginning the process of him being prepared to be king. And uh, they didn't even bother calling David in from separating the feet. And first brother, second brother, third brother, fourth brother, all the way down the line, family's going off. He's a fine young man. The guy said, not that one. Get all done and Samuel's looking around, thinking to himself, okay, Lord, he said, this family, they're all here. No, they're not. So he says, to Jesse, don't they have another son? Oh, I'll say, David, he's also taking care of you. He's just a baby. Don't worry about him. No, no, I don't need him. Well, David, the son of the prophet Samuel, 
And the Lord said, this is the man. This is the next king. So David starts out as the guy least expected to succeed because he's the baby of the family. Really always there for his shepherding sheep. Now, that's not a bad thing. Considering this is a guy who is covered in sheep with take on lions and bears. No tigers. Lions and bears. In hand to hand combat to save sheep. Already, I'm thinking this is a guy we don't want to mess with. If he's willing to take the sheep right out of the mouth of a lion, he must not be too shabby. He also likes the right song. So God helped him. He became a dedicated shepherd who defended his flock from lions and bears. He became a giant slayer. When all of his brothers were in the army and the giant Goliath challenged somebody to come out from Israel's army, which was the one on one, and the winners of the song, his brothers ran back and hid in their tents while they were standing around going, So, what's the king going to give me if I take him out? And he killed Goliath. The king pushed that Israel was not fond of David. He wanted his son to be the next king, not David. So great, uh, a number of people began to gather around David. Many of them were vagrant wanderers. But by the time he was done, as they interacted and worked together and influenced each other, he was the second king greatest king of Israel, and they were valiant warriors. Together they conquered all of Israel's enemies. David was a blessed man, and he knew it. This morning we're going to be looking at part of his story, recorded in the second book of Samuel. In chapter 7, verse 1. When King David was settled in his palace and prepared his rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there on the Nathan replied to the king, Go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. Now, I'm going to pause right there just to point out that something isn't right about this conversation. Something's off. I mean, you may be saying, Well, it looks pretty normal to me, Pastor. King says, I want to do something for God, and the prophet says, Hey, that's a cool idea. Go for it. What could be wrong with that? Well, I'm glad you Neither David nor Nathan asked God what he wanted to do. They've done it on other occasions. David 
often prays for the Lord's guidance and direction in his decisions and in his amazing battle. Should I go past that town? Yes, go past that town. Should I pass to the front row, go around from the back to praise him? And that was the kind of thing that would happen. He was used to asking God for direction. But he was not. Maybe doesn't say to David, well, God has a good plan. Let's pray about it. He just says, whoa, cool. I don't know what you have in mind, but go for it. Yes, that's just the circuit. David and Nathan had great dreams, plans, and wishes about what they wanted to do for the Lord and how they wanted to build it in a house. to look at what happens to the great dreams, plans, and wishes. Verse 4. Starts with a power question. The word, but. Someone once made the observation that when you find the word, but, it means everything you just went to said is wiped out. It's negated. Is nullified, is zip, zero. But that same night, the Lord said to Nathan, Just how my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you willing to build a house for me? I have never lived in a house. From the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day, I have always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle of my dwelling. Yet no matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's tribal leader, the shepherd of my people Israel. I have never asked them, why haven't you built me a cedar house? When you die or are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make Christian and strong. Who is the one who will build a house, a temple for me? In verse 17, says, Nathan went back to David and told him everything the Lord had said. Now, let you imagine for a moment with me what happened. The only word I can think of for this conversation would have to be awkward. Your Highness, uh, you remember yesterday? You remember that great plan you had your, your dreams and your wishes to do something about the RG and this tent? Well, God spoke to you last night. Now, if you're David, Nathan starts with this, the Lord God spoke to me last night. You're probably thinking, cool, God's going to tell me now, everything is great. And then Nathan says, David, the Lord says, you're not the man to build in the house. Your son will do that. You are not. 
dreams, your dreams, your wishes. Nice, but you're not going to do it. You're not the man. I'm pretty sure that's what David's question was. This dream of something I want to do for God, something great I want to do for the Lord, then he says, It has to be. We're part of a blessed church family. All right, thank you. Because the rest of that church says we are part of a blessed church family, and I hope you know it. Pause for a moment. Do a little flashback. This church was organized in October of 1921, which means our church family is over 90 years old. That's old. I wasn't going to pick on you, buddy, but thank you. <laughs> if you want to know, just go ahead today. So I'll let you know. Now, like a few of you, there's a few of you who, who knew and were blessed to know some of the earliest members of the church. When I came, almost 22 years ago, there were three guests. Elmira Britton. I missed her quickly. The only thing I wish for encouragement. And Blake Sheldon, I just make you a little smile sitting down here. It's always a positive attitude. How are you doing, man? Well, not too good. But I want to be doing even better at home, plus in the church. I want to be able to guide your people. And that's what we're talking about when we say earlier in the service, we believe the best way to enjoy life is to enjoy a relationship with Jesus and his people. It's the personification of that attitude. I wish you would leave that at home so that you would guide his people. I was preaching, I'm not hungry, that's one of my sermons. And I'm not preaching this morning. We can lay that one out there. He started this church with the signification of what we are talking about, the church being. The church moved from eating in the living room, which I believe wasn't far from here. Is that right? It was over here on Warner. The moderators. We moved from meeting to a building that's at the corner of Catherine and Jenny Street. And the building's still there, and there's still a church meeting in it. This last time I went by, it was really still open. Those of you that are close by can tell you, no, it's still there. Still a church. And about 50 years ago, plans um, were made to build a house in this building and move here. 
before the long ways and all that, the highway stuff went in and made life even more difficult. Just imagine, take a look at our parking lot. I'm going to guess there's probably 25 cars, vehicles out there. Might be a little more, a little less. Imagine no parking lot. I'm trying to get all those cars parked in the street. And one of the streets you must see is one way with no parking. Vision and foresight. My predecessor said it. To move to a place where there could be adequate space and room for exchange. And, you know, it, well, I'm choosing my words carefully here. When the time comes for us to expand, to help more people, Oh, we need to praise the Lord. Somebody was thinking. Question. Somebody was thinking. My first church, when they started that church, they were not thinking. Oh, well, that would be more than one lot. Anybody who's ever played the game of Monopoly knows that once a house is there on a piece of property, it costs more. And that's a lot when they built the building. In my first church, we found it. The, the lots were selling for nine hundred dollars a piece. Now, granted, it was like late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. It was that's a lot of money in that time period. But still, it's a whole lot cheaper than a house, a house sitting on there, maybe for like thirty thousand dollars. That we needed to sell down so we could have a parking lot. And even then, the parking lot wasn't big enough, and we had to get zoning changes. So I was thankful that the people who got to our church and put this building here and got this property had foresight and faith enough to believe we need room to grow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Unfortunately, you need to some, something coming, didn't you? I hope you didn't hear this. Churches have life cycles. Churches grow and mature and begin to decline. Some of you are still on the ability to truly tell life for yourself as individuals. And we do this in different areas of our lives, right? Some of us are still growing and maturing emotionally, and you know, common sense wise, that kind of thing. But physically, we understand the process. There's a point, there's a point in life where you stop making new cells faster than old cells. Die off in your body. It was about the time my friend Carl Furtwist said to me shortly after we moved here, we were out for breakfast. He and I and Carl went to the Texan, but you know, now it's a CBS pharmacy. 
not about us. God knows that God's in charge. And that's the lesson King David and Nathan learned abruptly.
Thank you. 